All right, let's go ahead and stand up, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to church. You guys join us from home. Welcome. Glad to have you joining us. We're going to sing to the Lord. Let's hear him call us to worship from Psalm 70. Let's hear this admonition. Verse 4, it says this. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. That's what we're gathering to say this morning together. Let's do this.
prophet Joel says, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I dreamed a dream last night. Normally I don't remember my dreams, but this one was vivid. My wife Elizabeth and I were far away walking toward the lakefront. And as we approached the seawall, the waves were crashing over the wall. It was a fearful scene. And then I heard a voice calling to us. And as we turned toward the voice, he called to us, do not be afraid for I am with you always. Look to me, not to the waves. I will give you peace in this storm. When I awoke, I opened my Bible to the Psalm of the day. Amazingly, you may have heard it before. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe the Lord would want to strengthen everyone here this morning with those wondrous faith-filled words in this time. Is it not enough that we have a pandemic raging, a race wars raising, race wars occurring, riots, political unrest, and now two storms mounting in the Gulf of Mexico. But God is with us. He is our strength. He is our peace. I believe anyone who walked in this place this morning with anxious hearts or fear of what is ahead know this. Our God is for us and he is our strength. He is our peace in all circumstances. Father, we thank you this morning that we can be reassured and strengthened in our faith and in our hope, not looking at the waves, <laughs> not glancing at the circumstance or being consumed by it, Lord, but looking upward, knowing you are our heavenly father and you care for us. You love us. You want the best for us. You will see us through the storms as you have in the past when we put our trust in you. So, Father, we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, come and enliven fresh hope and trust and faith and peace in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Who is like the Lord? 
victory was accomplished for us, Lord, but you defeated death and sin, Lord, and it helps us to see all of the days that we're living now, Lord, it helps us to put those days into perspective because of that day that you conquered sin and also because of the day that awaits us, Lord, that's coming where sin will be no more, 
our experience of sin will be no, no more. We will be face to face with you. Lord, what hope we have as Christians. Lord, so fill us with that hope this morning. We pray, God, thank you for your grace that's brought us into your family that will bring us home to you one day. There's no one like you, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It is good to celebrate that day and to be with you on this day. Thank you for prioritizing this gathering as we join together with one song, Encountering the Lord, having confidence awaken in our hearts for everything that we face today. As we turn our attention to giving, I want to begin by reading a passage that's probably familiar to most of us in Proverbs chapter 3. It says this in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You know, we, we live in a time that's been rightly described as the information age. So much of life is characterized by our technology, by our access to data, by the connections that we have with people and issues around the world. And it's been said that uh, for somebody living today, you know, just one day's news cycle contains more information than somebody living about 150 years ago would come across in their entire lifetime. And so we are connected, we are very much in the know, and what that creates is the temptation, maybe now more than ever, to lean on our own understanding. In order for life to feel safe, in order for it to be in a place that we feel is manageable, we, we want to gain understanding. We, we like being in the know. Right? That's why we, we pull out our devices and swipe up and what, what news, what good news can I come across today that helps me understand and prepare for what I'm facing. It's one of the reasons why uh, conspiracy theories are flourishing in, in these times because we like to know things. We like to know, you know, the people need to understand what's really going on and that makes life feel more manageable to us. And we can do that across the board. And, and obviously, we, we shouldn't be ignorant and we should live lives that are prepared uh, for our future. We can do that in the world of finances as well. You know, if, if, if the numbers make sense to me, if, if I can see how things will play out in order for me to have provision for what comes our way in the days ahead, then life feels secure. But in this context here, we're told not to lean on our own understanding, to trust the Lord with all of our heart, he says this in verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That, that, that word first fruits, it, it, you know, it comes from the language of harvest. But the first that's available, you know, the, the rest of the crop might get damaged. Locusts might come in and eat it up. A fire might take it out. And, and we don't know what's going to happen. But God, I, I don't need to have that figured out in order to know that I can trust you with what's first in my life. And that, that's how giving guards our hearts in this way. It secures our trust. Maybe we, we can figure out or, or not how the rest of the month is going to work. But our first instinct as the people of God with hearts that belong to him is to honor him with what he has provided. And then he promises 
and I'll make it work out for you in these days and in all eternity. So uh, there are different ways that you can give uh, today would be uh, the, uh, the offering boxes in the back of the room are available either right now or at the end of the service and as well as online through our website and the LCC app and some ways that are highlighted on the screen here. Um, let's uh, turn our attention to the Lord in prayer as we consider our practice of giving. Oh God, we, we thank you for such great news that we have sung about. Lord, there's nothing more impacting on our lives right now and our destinies in our future than what Christ has done and what awaits us. Lord, there, there's no other good news that we could ever come across that would help us. And so God, would we look to you, would we trust you and trust you with every resource that you have provided, Lord, that we would honor you with our giving and allow you to have it all figured out. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our, our small group ministry is going to be kicking off this week. We've introduced this over the past couple of weeks. You know, we, we need settings and environments where we can put on uh, Christianity as God has written about in his word, what, what he's designed his people to experience, that uh, we, we would be enjoying relationships of fellowship and environments where we can make use of spiritual gifts and, and God puts something in your heart that's going to be a blessing to somebody else and he, he prompts ways that we're going to serve one another and walk with one another uh, in real relationships. And, and often Sunday morning isn't, isn't the setting for that to take place in and so we, we want to pursue, pursue other environments where, where God can be at work strengthening us and allowing us to experience his purpose for these gatherings and, and our small groups are places to do that. And if you uh, check out the, the booklet here that you were given on the way in, or if you open up the LCC app on the Sunday morning tab, it's all listed there as well. We've got uh, different groups that meet different nights of the week and some will be uh, meeting in person. Uh, some will be uh, making use of the, the church building, meeting upstairs. And so that they can kind of be having, having seated, uh, separated out a little bit. Some will be meeting in homes, uh, other doing uh, online on Zoom and some that are kind of a hybrid of, of both formats. And so there are a variety of ways uh, for you to experience fellowship uh, that are safe and comfortable for you, but we want you to experience fellowship. We want you to benefit from how God has intended his people to gather together to have an influence on one another's lives uh, for the common good. All right, with that, Pastor Keith is going to bring us the word. Good morning. Great to see you guys. Great to see some of you for the first time. James, is this your first time back? Man, it's good to see you, my friend. <clears throat> Greetings to all you guys at home who are watching, uh, probably have boarded up your windows and are watching in a dark house perhaps right now. Probably not though. Um, let's see, a couple of things before, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that's where we're going to be. And I always love that you're looking in your own Bible and taking some of your own notes as well. Um, could I ask all of you guys just to be in prayer this week? Uh, Bill Treby's wife, Nancy, uh, is in the hospital. She had a stroke this past week. Um, so just in concerning condition and definitely needs our prayer and our attention. So if you would please pray for her. 
uh, this week. I know both of them would greatly appreciate it, as would we all. Um, All right, so this week, let me locate where we are. This week, we're starting our small group gatherings, our covenant groups that we call them, that meet uh, in a variety of ways. I won't re-go back through that. haven't helped us to see all that. But we happen to be in 1 Corinthians 14, which is really all about small group type settings, right? So I want to draw our attention to that in just a second. But one of the things that I think a small group setting, you need to be prepared to be in a small group setting, right? Everybody needs to be prepared to come to a small group meeting. We'll see why in just a second. But, you know, I I get, you know, we come into this meeting. I think we, we need to prepare for this meeting as well, right? I think everything that God has for us, you don't want to just show up in it, slide your way in and just sort of catch it on the fly. I think you want to be in that setting prepared. So this morning, uh, I'm in my office. I'm I'm praying before the meeting and the elders come in and join with me to pray before we come out here. And I, I just had this sense of the need for us to pray for the church in this category of fear. Right, just subjective sense. I wasn't reading a book on fear. Uh, nobody sent me any mail on fear. It just, you know, just this thing came up in my heart this morning to pray for the church out of a concern for fear, uh, maybe storm fear, pandemic issues. I'm trying to think through, Lord, how would you have us to do that this morning? Not sure. I'm, I'm trying to wrestle. Should I stop the service? Should I pray during the meeting? Maybe at the close of the meeting, have a time for folks to come up afterwards. Uh, just as we're concluding time of prayer with the elders, Phil uh, stops me on the way out the door and says, hey, um, just feel like I should share this with you. I had this dream last night, right? What Phil came up and prayed for us about fear. And he relays the, the thing to me. So immediately, just, you know, this subjective sense of, Lord, should we engage a moment where you highlight our need for awareness about you in the midst of our fears? Um, Phil had no idea that I was going to ask him to do that this morning. I didn't know he was going to have a dream about that. And I wasn't planning on doing anything with fear this morning until that time this morning. But I just say that to you just to be aware out of nowhere. God can just drop something into your heart that he wants you to communicate to somebody else in a particular moment. And you have no idea how important that's going to be for that person. Right? I'm trusting that somebody facing a week with two storms in it or facing some pandemic issues that they're going through right now, maybe watching at home. Um, that word meant something. That was God's way of showing up into your space where it feels very fearful, but God is letting you know, hey, I'm on this. I'm with you. It's okay. I got this, right? You bring that into a small group setting, right? So let me encourage us to think this way. Um, First Corinthians 14 really is describing a small group setting. And you and I need to think about this. Why do we do small group settings? Why do we have that as a church? And is that something we're going to participate in? And think for a moment with me. If you're an older person and you've been in this church for a while and you've been attending small group meetings, you've been, you've been making those things what they are. And you're going to pick that concept up and you're going to hand it to the next generation. What do you want to hand to them? What do you want that setting that you've been building? Listen, we advertise these things, but we don't build them. Right? The meeting that's going to meet on this night or that night, you come to that meeting, you're building that meeting. We're not, we're not building that meeting. 
We just gave that meeting a chance to exist. You're building that meeting. What do you want the people to pick up the next generation in something called small groups? What are those supposed to be like? You're helping build that, right? And so any of us looking for a blueprint, we're going to find it this morning as we look in this passage in 1 Corinthians 14. Let me start at the end of the chapter before I venture into reading from the beginning of it. All right, so Paul is addressing some issues in the gatherings at Corinth. At the end of this teaching, right, because I advertised the, the message this morning as desiring and pursuing the gift of tongues, right? So we're going to get into tongues in a little bit here, but I'm going to really reserve a lot of that for next week. Here's where Paul's going to land. When Paul's done teaching on tongues and prophecy in this section, he's going to say this in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has, has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up, right? So massively important phrases in this, right? You and I are reading about Paul engaging the Corinthians who are trying to do the Christian life like us. Paul says, when you come together, when you come together, not if you bump into each other, if you're at the same cafe and you have coffee together, when you come together, do you hear Paul's anticipation of their lives is that there is a together dimension of that. They're not always together, but there are moments when they are together and they're together intentionally. Christianity needs intentional gatherings. When you come together, he says, each one has something. You might have a hymn, song, a revelation. You might have a tongue or an interpretation, but each one has something. So that informs me when I come to a meeting, like a small group setting, like this is describing, I'm bringing something too. It's not like I just show up and say, oh, you know, I hope the worship leader is on key tonight. He kind of struggles sometimes. And I sure hope the covenant group leader's got some good questions tonight, man. Just, you know, sometimes he's way over my head and you just show up. What'd you bring? Uh, bean dip, you know? Uh, hey, well, that's a start. Okay. But you're bringing something into this meeting that's in this chapter, right? So I want to learn. I want to understand it. But the last thing, Paul's going to use this phrase and he's going to use it over and over and over again. And it's almost always used about gifts. Why are we doing this stuff? Why are we talking about tongues and prophecy? Why all these gifts the last thing he says, let all things be done for building up. For building up. That's why we do these things. For building up. When you do these things, there's an actual exchange. That means the person on the receiving end is built up in some fashion. Right? Um, goofy illustration that came to mind this morning. Right? So you walk in here today. This meeting's for the intention of building you up. There's something about your life God wants to build up and strengthen, make it bigger and stronger. So it's like you pull into a car wash here and you, you go through the thing and you come out the other side and you're, you're two inches taller than you were when you came in. That's your small group, by the way, right? That, you're, that, that group exists for you to be built up. You came in in one condition. You came in at a certain faith level. 
You came in interacting with problems. You came in distracted. You came in with God 400 miles away in your thinking. And you went through this meeting and you came out the other side and faith was built up. And God is nearer. And your thinking is more in line with God's truth. That, that's what these things are supposed to do. They build us up. That's a strategy that every one of us needs desperately, right? Not an option. We need it. So I wrote in your outline there, building up, gathering and gifts are for building up. We gather and we express gifts among each other for the sake of building each other up. Now, let me just go back into this verse last week to highlight this. Well, I mentioned Ephesians chapter four pulls all these concepts together for us. Ephesians 4 verse 7. Remember it says this? But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, Now see the construction here because this is your small group meeting this week. God gave gifts. God, God tucked these gifts inside people. Right? And, then, and then he sets them among others. And now grace gets dispensed from here. It's like squirting out the side of our lives is grace. And it's going to spill out from your life onto somebody else's life. This was God's grand scheme. He led captives and he gave gifts to men so that gifts of grace might be among us, distributing something to us. All right, then he explains that. Verse 11. He gave the apostles prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? For building up the body of Christ. Right? Why are there spiritual gifts? For building up the body of Christ. So that you and I could come in a meeting where there are functioning apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or teachers, and we could come into that meeting and come out the other side of that thing two inches taller. That's why God gave these gifts. By the way, you're going to have to be in that meeting for that building up to happen. And those gifts are going to need to function. Right now, let me just highlight how weird would this be this morning if, if, I don't know, if I just got a chair and pulled it up up here and just, and we just sat together for an hour. That's, we're just going to, I'm not going to say a thing. We're just going to sit together for an hour. Because, you know, I'm, I'm given to be a pastor, but I'm not bringing anything today. I just, I don't know, I forgot. I was busy this week. I just got really, really busy with other stuff. And so I know we're all gathered here. We'll just watch the clock together. Would that be weird? Is that any weirder than when you show up in a small group and you got nothing? Right? Small group's there. It's waiting for everybody to bring what they got to distribute grace into that setting as God has designed it, right? So we are called into these settings to build up the body. Look at verse 13. This is what this building up is going to do until we attain. So this building up is going to cause us to attain something. So I came in too short, can't reach it, but I'm going to exit this thing a little taller. I can reach something now. I can attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God. Right? I mean, this is the image that's here. So before I, I had faith and God at work in me, but you know, unity was a little out of reach, but then, then these gifts work in my life. And now 
now a new unity is reachable. I can experience this new unity or this new knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. I, you know, I come into this setting at one level of maturity, but then I, I leave at a greater maturity in my life. So that, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried by every wind of doctrine, every idea that comes along, every spiritual idea, every live your life this way idea, every nuance on what what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, what it means to to live in America, what what it means, every idea that affects our lives. The Bible describes us as you and I, the wind is coming, right? We'll have some good opportunities to see that this, this week. The wind's coming, it's gonna blow on us. All right, so when I am thin, when I am not mature, when I am not well-grounded, when that wind blows on me, I'm going over. And there's gonna be ideas that come to us that function like that. Paul said, hey, there's a building up that makes you able to stand in the wind. So when it blows on you, you got some bulk, right? You got some meat in place there. It's like that wind's not going to blow me over. Where'd you get that from? God's grace through gifts functioning in our lives. And then Paul says this in verse 15 of Ephesians 4. And this pulls it out of the realm of just the, the guys with microphones. Rather speaking the truth in love, which everybody, everybody do this, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Right, so this is a this is a preoccupation for Paul. Paul's going to use this phrase a lot. I'm going to overdose you on the phrase, build up, build up, build up. Because he is, he's the apostle who is the wise architect builder here. He wants to see the body functioning and strong and vibrant. And then he's going to point out, this is how you do it. And this is necessary. So I think I wrote in your outline there, gifts and gatherings are for building up. And building up is not an optional activity. It's critical for health, for survival, and for the mission that we are on together. We need to be built up. I need to go from strength to strength, from glory to glory. I need to get around some things that make strength come into me and in my walk. All right, here's the habit of our lives. I'll just give you these verses really quick. Romans 14 verse 19, Paul says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us pursue that, right? This is that same language of Paul, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding, right? Become aware what would build up others that are in my world, that are in my small group, that are in my church. What could I do to build them up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, Paul said earlier, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 
Right, so this is a priority setting verse right here. There's a lot of things that you and I can do. All things are lawful. There's a lot of options for us. Paul says, prioritize the ones that build up. Because building up is a massively important issue. Now, how are you treating that for yourself and for those around you? How are you entreating that, right? I know we kind of live in an age where you've got a lot of gyms and everybody goes and works out. So there is a dimension that you and I get the building up thing, right? Some, some food, you don't miss a day, right? You get up early at some ridiculous hour when you should be sleeping and you go to the gym or you go run, right? That, that's for building up. There is a dimension that you have seen something that's made you say, hey, you know, put in the work for that because that's valuable. Can, can I just tell you, the Bible gives us a gazillion reasons why building up is very, very important. Right? I wrote a little paragraph in your outline there. Remember, you live in a world where there are contrary forces in this life. There are desires of the flesh in you. I think most of us on a good day would say, I, I desire to live for God. I want to live for God. I want to live for God's glory and God's pleasure. That's what I want in my life. And then there are moments when the desires of the flesh kick in and you don't want that, right? I want something else. I want something easier. I want something that's pleasure oriented. I'm going to need to be built up in that moment. There is the corruption of the human heart. <clears throat> Did you know your heart, that centerpiece, the element of you was designed for worship. It was designed to go nuts over stuff to get obsessed with something. How many of you guys have an obsessive personality? You just kind of overpay attention to things. How many of you guys are just super, man? Oh man, when I go for stuff, I am off the charts crazy about it. Uh, you know, before you find fault with that, just realize you actually were designed for that by God. God created your heart to be obsessed with him, to go nuts over him to think about him way too much, right? I mean, God designed you for that. But then sin came in and corrupted that design. And it still has that same ability to worship things and to just be all absorbed in them, to obsess over them. It's just something besides God now, right? So if that happens to me and I become obsessed with something else besides God, I'm gonna need some help. I'm gonna need to be built up in my faith, so that I'm not vulnerable to that. There's the fallenness of this world. The world is working against us. There's spiritual warfare with the devil. You do face that every day of our lives. There are trials and temptations. There is suffering that produces massive discouragement and disillusionment and fears in us. There is health problems. There is loss that happens. There is death and separation in this world. Right, so when all these things come to us, I'm going to need to be built up. How am I going to stand in that environment? Well, God has designed us to be built up by these gifts operating in our lives. That's at least one portion. I'll say that's the only portion. Right? Peter picks this up, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He says, as you come to him, right? This is your salvation in God. You have come to Christ as you come to him. The living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves 
like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Did you know you're becoming a house? I know if you're dieting, you don't like to hear that. But you're becoming a house. Did you know that? Now stop and think. Do you have any idea how to become that house? Do, Do you have any idea what you'll do as a stone in that house? Listen, I totally get that some of us are like, uh... I mean, that sounded cool right until the point where you asked me, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't really know what that means. I don't even know what I would do in that. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Okay, you got any handles on that? How are you doing being a holy priesthood? What'd you do, what'd you do yesterday that looked like a holy priesthood? What are you going to do this week? Who are you going to be? But you're being built up for that. So these are things we've got to fill in and know something about. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices, that sounds Old Testament-ish. Oh, but it's in the New Testament. What does this stuff mean? All right, so this morning, I'm going to want to highlight something about us. These gifts function when you and I have clarity about the cause that we're a part of about the purpose for our lives. And the great danger is if that purpose diminishes and that mission goes away, my interest in spiritual gifts will go away with it. Because I don't need spiritual gifts to do a lot of other things in life. I need them to be on the mission that God has me to be on, right? All right, one other clarifier before I read this passage that we're going to look at. Paul is about to set the tone for this entire chapter in the first verse here, right? You're looking at that with me? First Corinthians 14. Here's the tone Paul wants us to land in. When we're done studying this, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, right? So I don't know what earnest desire is going to look like for you. I don't know if we set some kind of ultimate chocolate cake up here and invited you to come up here and sit next to it. Maybe we get a look at what earnest desire looks like for you. But at the end of this chapter, When Paul speaks to us about details and specifics about spiritual gifts, he wants us to really want them. That's what he wants. Yet strangely, I have noticed, I wrote this in your outline there, some people, when they pick up this portion of scripture and you're done reading it, you want to back away from these gifts. Because there's a lot being corrected in this chapter. If the outcome of this, if I pick this passage up, or you listen to some teaching online, or you've been a part of a church where a pastor has taught through this section of scripture, and at the end of it, you are so aware of the caution and the weirdness and the problems of spiritual gifts that you are more than willing to put them at more than arm's length and keep them in a safe place because you know how weird this can get. If that's the posture, can I just say somebody used this passage in a way the Apostle Paul did not intend it to be used. Can you go there with me just for a second? I may be blowing up your favorite pastor here by saying this. But you know, this, I should be blown up if, if this is what I do with this passage. The Apostle Paul put this in for the sake of earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. He's trying to clarify how they operate. I shouldn't be exiting this chapter with this sense of, well, that'll never be us because we'll never do that. I, 
I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing that spiritual. And I think, you know, weird it gets to see. Even Paul said it gets weird. He wants us to desire this. So I hope that's where we'll be at the end of this. We want what the apostle wants as well. So let's read a little chunk of this chapter. Won't get to all this, but we will eventually. Verse one, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Listen, we'll unpack some of this stuff because there's some some really helpful phrases in this that'll help us understand some of the nuance of this gift. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, right? Get used to that word. He's going to use it a lot in encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So if you speak in tongues, you are actually in some way building up yourself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Talk more about that next week. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves. And since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? In building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the person is not being built up, right? That's the issue. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. All right, so we'll, we'll take a bunch of that apart next week. But here's what is critically needing to be noticed if we are to benefit properly from this passage. Like all of Paul's letters to churches, they are what are called occasional letters. So Paul is writing these letters often in response to a situation that's going on there. So he's going to interact with it. It's kind of like, you know, if I wrote you a birthday card, it would sound different than, you know, the, the tax item that you get from the government, right? There's an occasion 
The occasion is it's your birthday. Happy birthday. First thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to say something about you and something about how much I appreciate you. Well, the occasion is your birthday. Paul is writing to the Corinthians on this topic because there's an occasion that's driving it. The Corinthians were practicing speaking in tongues in a particular way. And Paul is going to address that. Right, so, so notice and keep in mind, would Paul say the same thing to us? Would Paul address and adjust the same exact things here as he did in Corinth? I don't think he would. Right? Here's, here's my analysis. Here's their occasion. I wrote this in your outline. Their occasion is this. It's the overuse and disorderly use of tongues in public settings. It's spiritual pride that used tongues as self-promotion, right? If you had the gift of tongues, you were somehow at a higher level than others. That's in their midst. There's a divisiveness between the haves and the have-nots that's in Corinth. We've seen that in a number of locations. We see it operate in their gift usage. These all contribute to Paul sounding corrective with regards to the gift of tongues. When Paul pulls up to the Corinthian setting, there's this tongue issue that's being done a certain way. And what comes out of him is that needs to get corrected. That's their occasion. What's our occasion like? Well, here's how I describe our occasion. And I mean us as a church, like the Christian Center. Uh, the underuse of tongues among us. Leeriness of the gift. There's a lot of us here who would feel just off, put off by what we've learned about this gift, what we've heard about this gift. And being at peace with not pursuing this gift. Right? We know about the gift of tongues, but uh, I'm cool with not pursuing that. Seeking to argue it away. And there would be some here who, if Paul sat down with us, the first thing we want to have over a coffee talk would be an argument with him about why tongues aren't any good or why tongues don't really exist anymore. Or we are people who've never heard anyone speak in tongues. Right? I've asked a few of you guys who have been in the church for a while. Have you ever heard anybody speak in tongues in this church? Almost everyone says no. Anybody concerned about that? Right? This is a gift. It is highlighted. It is promoted. Week in and week out and week in and week out and week in and week out. We can not get around it. And we're like, hey, I'm cool with that. All right, so if the Apostle Paul were the guest speaker today, and the topic was speaking in tongues at Lakeview Christian Center, do you think he'd sound like the Corinthians to us? We wouldn't get what he was talking about. We're not using this gift in public in a way that's distracting and disorienting and confusing, and we filled our meeting up with some one person after another. You speak in tongues, and then you speak in tongues. Nobody interprets. You speak in tongues, and you speak in tongues. And an hour had gone by, and we've heard 15 people speak in tongues. Nobody's understood a word that was being said. That's Corinth. That's not Lakeview Christian Center. But yet I will hear people, by the way, that's not 98% of churches in the Western Hemisphere either. But yet I've heard people come to this and they can't wait to get here to correct tongues. As a pastor, I want to tell you, why don't you not wait to get here in order to experience anything that looks like tongues in your church before you 
figure out how to find the off button, why don't you find the on button first? Right, so there's this tone here in Paul. It really is there. Paul's got his foot on the brakes in Corinth. Tongues, hey, guys, whoa, time out. Put your foot on the brake here. I don't think his foot would be on the brake here. I think his foot would be on the gas here, trying to encourage us to step further in this category. And so let's not, let's not create a safety in this category that we have created. We feel it's safe to just kind of leave this thing alone. Can I tell you that's not safe? Right, if we're driving down the highway of spiritual gifts here and we're passing through the town of tongues, stay in the middle lane, right? There's a ditch on this side of the highway and there's a ditch on this side of the highway. Can I just encourage us, stay out of both ditches. They're both a ditch. If you get in either one of them, your car will not be moving and you will need a tow truck. Stay out of both ditches. Well, what are the ditches? Well, on one side of the highway is the misuse of tongues. And that's the ditch that the Corinthians were in. Paul shows up with his tow truck and says, whoa, we need to fix this. You guys are misusing this gift. And you're doing it in a way that it fails to build up. Gifts are given to build up. The way you're using it, this gift's not building people up. All right, so that's a misuse ditch. But you know what's on the other ditch over here? The non-use ditch. Just, just going to stay away from that. Just not going to do it. Just not going to be open to, etc. But the problem is, you've got the Apostle Paul messing with that when he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And he nowhere says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, asterisk, bottom of the page, except speaking in tongues. Stay away from that weirdo. That's not what Paul says. As a matter of fact, he's going to come out and say, and I think he's honest, this is not a head fake. I wish that you all spoke in tongues. He did say that. And he comes right out and says, like it it kind of makes sense that he would say he speaks in tongues more than you all. Does anybody wonder? I'm wondering. I mean, at the end of this meeting, I'm going up to the apostle Paul and I'm asking him, wait, well, Paul, if you would rather speak five words to us publicly, when you doing all this speaking in tongues? Well, not in this meeting. Okay, I'm all the more curious. Where are you doing it? Right, well, we'll talk about that next week. But see, the Apostle Paul is not pouring cold water on this. He doesn't advise one ditch in exchange for another. We are to travel down this road and use these gifts. And so find out for yourself. Is God wanting to put the brake pedal on for you, for you personally in this category, or is he want to put his foot on the gas pedal for you? Because I find Paul in other places not cautioning gifts, right? He's very cautioning of gifts in the Corinthian church because they needed it. But when he talks to the Romans, right? Romans chapter 12, we looked at last week, and he talks to them about all these spiritual gifts. He doesn't mention tongues, but he doesn't mention a bunch of other gifts. He just throws out a little sampling of gifts. And he says, as you've received these, use them. Use these gifts. Put on the gas pedal. Use them. They, they create grace in our lives. First Peter, when Peter talked about spiritual gifts, he doesn't put his foot on the brake. He puts his foot on the gas. He says, hey, there's these gifts. There's hospitality. And each one of you has received it. And as each one has received it, use these gifts as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Foot on the gas pedal. All right, so this morning, my intention was to get us to take our foot off the brake. That's about all I want to do this morning. 
Can I just get you to take your foot off the brake of tongues? And maybe if you're not quite ready to put it on the gas pedal, can you at least just take it off the brake? So the vehicle can roll a little bit in this category. Uh, there's, there's no reason for you to jettison tongues based on 1 Corinthians chapter 14, right? But here, here's the, the real issue for me this morning. This uh, had other things prepared to talk about, but I felt like the Lord redirected this this morning. So I put in your outline, today we are pausing to avoid dismissing. We're going to pause in our pursuit of this chapter to avoid dismissing it. Here's what I know. So I look around the room here and I see people who are five years old in Christ, 10 years old in Christ, 20 years old in Christ. What, what I know is most of you are not this morning hearing for the first time. There are these things called spiritual gifts. There's this chapter, chapter 14. Uh, there's very few people in this room right now going, never heard any of this. What are you talking about? But maybe you are here, and, and this is a great question for you to come up afterwards and say, hey, help me get up to speed. You guys are talking about stuff. I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's cool. Maybe you're watching. Please write in and please ask for some input. We'd be glad to steer you towards more content here. But most of us know about this chapter. We know about spiritual gifts. But yet we've figured out a way to do life without them. They're not critical, let me say it this way, to the mission we're on. But in the Bible, they're critical to the mission that we're on, right? And we, we are on a mission. Maybe we need to regain that feel. Listen, when you and I came to Christ, when we first came to Christ, can you go back and remember that? When that happened to you? Right? I'm a teenager, I'm confused about life and, and what it means, and I'm sensing the, the pains that go with growing up, and relational elements, and rejection, and how do I make my way, and what do things mean, etc. So, so when we get saved, and we come to Christ, God reaches into all these categories, doesn't he? Right? You're feeling the pain of life and people and God reaches in and loves you in a way you've never been loved before. You have been hurt, harmed, and, and it's your soul is bleeding because of things that have taken place in your life, going all the way back to when you were a child, going back to your family, parents, relationships, people, and you're bleeding out in your soul. And Jesus comes and heals that gives you a new life, patches things up, brings new abilities to you, right? We started the year off this year talking about this great invitation of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest for your souls. When you get saved, you find rest for your souls, right? Your soul is able to go, ah, okay, not all my questions are answered, but I just feel at peace. I found something, right? But you know what is as clear as that in the Bible? Is that you have come into a mission with God. Your life is now, from that moment on, on a mission. You are now living for a cause. Right? So Jesus, who invited people to come to him, his disciples, and he discipled them and he cared for them. And then Matthew chapter 28. Right? This, this needs to be a mission statement that every Christian can stand under like an umbrella. And say, this describes me as much as it describes you. Because it describes all of us. 
Matthew 28, very last marching orders Jesus gives to his disciples, beginning in verse 18. Jesus has finished what he came to accomplish. He says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've achieved it. I've got it. It's mine. What do we do now, Jesus? Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you feel the weight of that verse as you build your life, live your life, live in a house, get a job, make a purchase? Do you feel the weight of that mandate that Jesus looks to those that he has welcomed to himself as his followers, that he has loved us and cared for us, but he sends us on a mission? When you go out to live your life, go! into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Can you imagine? You're some dude from the the hillsides of Galilee hearing this told to you. You thought you were a big wig because you had a fishing business on on the lake there in the town. But you're being given an assignment to take this to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. Anybody feeling in over their head right now? They did. They had to have. I don't Until Jesus came along, I'm not sure how many times they left the neighborhood. And now they're going to the ends of the earth? Appropriate question. How are we going to do that, Jesus? How is this big, giant thing going to ever take place? Well, it took place, didn't it? You and I are living testimonies of it. What this little small group of people did has found its way all the way to us. You and I have become disciples because of this marching order given on the side of a mountain on the other side of the world. How did these people do it? Well, they passed it from one generation to the next, from one town to the next, from one country to the next, from one continent to the next. But it started right here. How many of you can imagine that it may have taken some building up along the way for this thing to find us? When it was hard, when there was unbelief, when there were fears, when there were questions and confusion. But God distributed grace through these gifts, you see. And these gifts brought a building up that caused faith to go into the hearts of a William Carey, a man in England who suddenly sat in a meeting, maybe a prayer meeting, and the Spirit of God was in that meeting and gifts, and through the voice of that which was prayed, God birthed something in William Carey's heart that he had the courage in that moment. He was built up to the place that he had the courage in that moment to pack his life, get on a ship, and go to India and live one of the most horrible, difficult lives you'll ever hear read about. To take the gospel to India. Did you ever stop and think that what was launched in William Carey, William Carey is known as the father of modern missions, by the way. Did you ever stop and think that 
the grace and the courage that came into his heart was a small group meeting. That he was in a meeting. I mean, we don't have any details on some of this. But that God could have met this man in that moment and something happened. Somebody laid hands on him. Somebody had a word for him. Somebody showed up like Phil and had a dream. Hey, hey, Bill Carey, I had a dream. You were on a ship. I don't know. I don't even remember my dreams, but I remember this one. And he heard what God had put in his heart and something leapt into him and he had the courage to go do that. He picked his life up and went to the other side of the world. What kind of role are gifts playing in this great cause that God has given us? Right. Can you hear this with me? Can you hear Matthew chapter 28 the way, the way we used to hear it as a church? And when I, was first getting, when I first got saved... You know, I got saved, and a few years later, I got involved in a campus ministry, and that campus ministry was a campus crusade, and they lived in this verse. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Go into all the world and make disciples. They lived in this verse. They taught this verse. It was everything about the Christian life. It was the cause, and, and, and what captured my heart was, this is who I am now. This is what I'm about. I mean, I'm going to do a lot of other things, right? I'm going to get married and have kids. Uh, you know, I was going to school then. I'm, I'm going to get an engineering degree. I'm going to keep doing that. But this is my cause. Do you guys recognize this? And, and, and this comes in waves. I don't think people in the 80s and 90s had many causes. I think materialism, I just want to build a nice house and I want to invest in the stock market and be rich by the time uh, 10 years from now rolls around. There weren't a lot of causes in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Do you recognize there's a lot of causes right now? There are causes out there that people have come to life over. Now, those of you guys, there's not a lot of old people in this. I don't know why the old people come to the early service. A couple of you guys will remember. James will remember. In the 60s and 70s, there are causes, right? People came to life over causes. Civil rights movement was a cause. There were causes in the 60s and 70s. I had cousins who I can remember being a little kid who were packing their stuff up and moving away from home to go live in like Oregon and and California. I don't know why Oregon and California attract all the cause people. Uh, But they were moving there, right? And I remember it freaking out my my relatives because we don't know where they're moving and we don't know who they're going to move in with. And oh my gosh, what are they? They're just taking it like like hippies living out of a van. It was weird, right? But it was a cause, a cause that you were willing to turn your life upside down to have, a cause that you were willing to take risks for, a cause that you were willing to go live in a foreign place with foreign people that you barely even knew, but they were about that cause too. And so were you. And finally you found people that you were excited about this cause. Church, Matthew 28, 18, it's our cause. Are you looking for a cause? Can can I just be honest with you? There are a lot of Christians out there right now that read right past Matthew chapter 28 and they're looking for a cause. Can I remind you of this cause? This cause. That doesn't mean I'm against other causes. It's just that this one casts such a big shadow on everything. Right, you remember, this cause is the cause that leads to God turning the lights off on this place. To him saying, I'm done. I've accomplished all that I intended to accomplish. The last disciple has now been made. We're done here. 
This cause is about that. There's a lot of causes right now. Goodness gracious, it's a political year. You're hearing about all kinds of causes right now. Are you finally finding a cause in one of these spaces? Or is this your cause? Again, I'm not trying to tell you you can't be involved in anything else but this. But in some ways, I don't, until you are involved in this, I question what are you doing in all these other spaces? This cause overshadows all the other ones. We have a mandate on our lives to make disciples of all nations. And our identity gets formed out of that. Our purpose in life gets formed out of that, right? Let me just give you a couple of quick verses here. First Peter, filling in some of this, right? Peter would have been there when Jesus had given this cause to his disciples. And he's going to unpack it a little bit when he says this to the followers of Christ in the future. First Peter chapter one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. That's how he refers to the church. This is who you are. You are elect, right? Which has to do with God having chosen you. Exiles, which means you're not at home. This is not your homeland. That's who you are. And he says of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Kenner, Gentili, right? That's what he was going to say next. He just didn't have time. You are elect exiles. You are in a strange land. You are not at home. You are not a part of what everybody else is a part of because you have been elected, chosen out of. That's what that election is about. You were called out onto something uniquely given to you that everybody else hasn't clued into. But when you bring your light and your salt into the earth, they will clue into it as well. But you have this unique role. You are called to be exiles here. That's a cause. You're like an ambassador, and the Bible uses that, right? An ambassador lives in a foreign country that's not their own on behalf of another country. You're there to do business on behalf of the, the, comp- the country that sent you there. You have misplaced yourself as an ambassador if you decide to become a citizen of that nation and stop representing the country that sent you there. You, you've lost your way. The myriad of things that you and I can give our lives to needs to stand in the shadow of this cause. We are elect exiles. Verse two, according to the foreknowledge of God, this plan of God, you and I are in it. In the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Listen, does that fill in for you anything that's kind of like, wow, that. That's a cause that I could get behind right there. Does does that do anything for you? You want me to read them again? Because I know there's a lot of us who are Christians who aren't nearly animated enough about these issues, right? You are part of a cause that is in the plan and foreknowledge of God from eternity past in the sanctification of the spirit. What does that mean? In holiness. It's the same word for holiness. In, in the fact that God chose to separate you unto his own purpose from everything else to 
Let us bear his image and be holy like he is holy. You know, the Bible says that, right? You shall be holy for I am holy. So when I'm at work in you and I'm transferring my glory into your life, you will be holy like I am holy. How many of you guys are excited about the opportunity to be holy like God is holy? What a cause to give my life to. Listen, when I got saved, and you, you probably trafficked through similar thoughts, when I got saved, I had ways of doing stuff. I had hopes and dreams in life. I had written a narrative about what would it mean for Keith Collins to be a fulfilled individual. Now, the problem was the shininess was wearing off that even as a teenager. And the promise wasn't coming true. And I could see problems in the waters ahead. I'm not going to be fulfilled. I don't feel fulfilled now. And I discovered that I'd been called into some holy purpose to image the glory of God into the earth. Ah, what a discovery. What, what a privilege that this nobody from River Ridge gets to participate in the bringing of the glory of God in the dark and fallen, fallen world that I'm a part of. What a privilege that I get to be a part of this. And, and, and then, well, what else? Obedience to Jesus Christ. I become obedient to Jesus Christ. What a, what a privilege. Now, now, maybe you look at obedience and you think, whoa, that sounds like you don't get to do what you want to do. That's what that sounds like to me. Jesus didn't apologize and didn't feel like he got the bad end of the stick when he said, I don't do anything of myself. Only what I see the father doing. I don't think he went like that afterwards. <laughs> Darn, shoot. I had a lot of ideas. There's a lot of things I wanted to do. You know, I've got the Father's will to worry about. I got stuck with that. Jesus sounds like, what a privilege to only do what the Father does, to see him do it and do it myself in his power. Oh, do you, do you see your life under this calling that way? Do you see that you get called to do that, that that is the highest of callings? that you could have in this world, that there's not anything else anybody else could give you or that you could discover for yourself, then what's right here in these verses? Sprinkling with his blood, right? The cleansing that comes from the blood of Christ to forgive your sins and to make us right with God. Is there something better out there that you and I want to be a part of than having been made righteous by God? Is there really something better? Why? Why has the noise of the world and its advertisements made us read past these things so quickly and say, yeah, I haven't really thought about that. I don't know how valuable I find that now that you bring it up. But yeah, I guess it is pretty valuable. Yes, it is. This is the call. And Paul just, Peter just develops that a little bit further in 1 Peter 2 verse 5. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This isn't everybody. This is those whom are elect exiles. That you may, here's the privilege you have, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. This is who you are. This is your identity. When I go to, to figure out who am I, what life do I live? What are my issues right now? Right? Because you're living in a world that's trying to figure out what are your issues. By the way, where do you stand on this? And where do you stand on this? And where do you stand on this? 
Right? Welcome to the Democratic convention last week and the Republican one, whenever it is. Issues. Where do you stand on that? And where do you stand on this one? Where do you stand on race? Where do you stand on mask wearing and pandemics? And what's going to solve it? Where do you stand, right? What's your issues? You're going to answer that out of your identity. And unfortunately, the church is having a hard time getting along with each other because I think we've lost our identity. What happens when you stare at this verse and it's, but you, you're a chosen race. Right? Do you know I can say that to each and every, no matter what color you are? I can say, you're a chosen race. You're a chosen race. You're a chosen race. You're a, if you're in Christ, you are of a chosen race. I got a lot of Europeans in my background. That's where this thing comes from. It's where my upbringing came from. Maybe some of you guys got Latino in your background. My wife's got Latino in her background. That's where they came from. Do you understand being a chosen race? I want to be careful how I say this. Got nothing to do with what color your skin is. It puts you in another race. You are connected to another set of people whom God has chosen. And you might just have a little different skin tone and personal history than somebody else. So when it comes to the issue of discussing race, which, which race are you discussing first? This race? Somebody else's race? Or this race? See, in here, this race is the loud race. This race is the race that we answer to. This race is who we are, where we've come from, and who determines who I'm going to be right now. So I, I shouldn't have any difficulty relating to whatever skin color you are and background and, and personal human history that came with that, that I might not get or I might be offended by. But this, this is a bigger issue. And, and look at the next thing. You're a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Listen, I know you just, I know you happen to pay taxes to America and your feet right now happen to be standing in a land that's called America. Can I, can I tell you though, that your citizenship is of a holy nation and you just happen to be living that thing out in a place called America. You can move to France next week or to Africa the week after that. And you would still be a part of this nation. So this local place called America is going to have an election in November. How jazzed up are you going to be about that? How are you going to do with that? How are you going to get along with people who would say, I wouldn't vote for that, I'd vote for this. Is this nation right here going to have any influence over you in that moment? Are you a citizen with me and with everybody else here of this nation that functions under the kingship of Jesus Christ with his ideas and principles and realities in place? Whether this country called America ever gets it together or not, this is my nation. And this is your nation. And why am, I, why am I entrenching us in this? When Jesus gave this mission to his church, go into all the world, make disciples. Right? What comes right after that, Luke picks it up, travels into Acts, 
is that, hey, not only go into all the nations, but wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That's a mission, right? You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's a mission that you and I continue to be on. That's the cause that should be driving our lives. If you or me ever find another cause that makes this one diminish, I can almost promise you, you will abandon spiritual gifts overnight. Because you don't need spiritual gifts to do other causes. I don't anticipate the Democratic convention or the Republican Party convention and their platforms highlighting anything about spiritual gifts. You? Anybody going to stand up and say, I'm the candidate of prophecy and speaking in tongues. Vote for me. Probably not going to happen, right? Don't get your hopes up. Because for them to build the kingdom that they're trying to build, they don't need spiritual gifts and they're not going to pursue them. They will not earnestly desire them. Dr. Fauci. have yet to hear a press conference where Dr. Fauci is seeking the gift of healing. Have you? He's looking for a vaccine. I don't blame him. Hope he finds one. I'm all for him. But when Paul spoke to the church, he spoke about the gift of healing. That that would be something that would happen here amongst the people of God. He didn't talk about vaccines out there. Not that he'd have been against them. I think he'd have been fine with them. Black Lives Matter, as an organization, doesn't say anything about pursuing spiritual gifts. They don't need spiritual gifts to accomplish their cause. The American dream, most of us are living some form of it. The American dream, you know, where you figure out a way to get educated, build up some money, make some purchases, and these purchases can bring you adventure and fun and happiness and security when you get older. That's the American dream. No place in here for spiritual gifts, is there? You need spiritual gifts right there. That's where the spiritual gifts come into the American dream. You need that right there. You need that prophetic word, spiritual gifts to function in your American dream. When any of these causes become our cause, we don't need spiritual gifts. But what if your cause is to make disciples of hostile people who have been blinded, forced labor into the darkness of the realm of Satan, And you're going to go into all the world and confront that with the gospel. You might need something besides your own strength to do that. You might need some spiritual power to do that. What if the means that God has for disciples to be made has to do with churches becoming communities where people live toward one another and provide building up strength and grace to each other through the gifts that are mentioned here? What if an essential part of any one of us answering this call in our lives might be influenced by the fact that you are here today under the influence of the gift of a pastor? That hopefully, I trust and hope this is true, you came in here today and you're going to leave here two inches taller. And something about the mission in you is going to go, yeah, yeah, 
I'm willing to take a risk that I wasn't willing to take when I walked in here. I'm willing to run after something for the glory of God that uh, I was a little cautious about. I didn't do it, man. God's given me some grace to do that. Okay, that same grace is waiting for you when you show up in a small group meeting. And somebody else brings, when you come together, each one brings to this, brings to that, brings to this. You have no idea what might happen to you if somebody prayed the very same prayer, word for word, that you were praying last night about some big deal in your life, and somebody in the group prayed it exactly like you. You'd sit up like, what was that? You'd know God is on this, and your faith, and you would come out of there two inches taller. Guys, remember, if you misplace the mission, you will misplace spiritual gifts right along with it. You don't need spiritual gifts to be a family. You need spiritual gifts to be a church. So that's where we needed to go this week before we get into tongues. Eric, you can come back up here. Somebody. Let's do this. Let's pray together. Why don't you all stand up with me? Father, this place today, just for us to be in a place to be reminded amidst all the noise, amidst all the enthusiasm that's in other places, a a reminder, a moment for us to get our bearings and get reoriented. We have a cause. What a cause we have. Lord, how grateful we are to live in the shadow of that cause. But Lord, to think through your strategy for grace to come into the lives of those who are about your cause. It would come through gifts that function. So Lord, there were small group meetings that were happening in Corinth where people were bringing these gifts. Lord, what happened in those meetings? Or we can imagine maybe some widow comes into that meeting and she is facing a moment of fear and concerns. Taxes have gone up. She can't pay rent. She's about to be out on the street. She walks into a meeting and somebody has a word. Somebody getting moved on by the spirit to just randomly give her a chunk of money. Somebody has a word of prophecy for her that she suddenly realizes God is with her. She's not alone. And that woman moves. She gets built up. She moves from desperate fear, maybe depression, to bold courage. And she begins to minister to others. And she begins to share the gospel with others. And she shares it with somebody who goes on to Take the gospel from Corinth to the next town over there. And again and again and again, that happens until, Lord, one day, somebody shows up in my life in Metairie, Louisiana, who was built up by the grace that you put in these gifts and came to me. And I am a disciple of yours. Somebody whose faith was bold and it was active and they weren't living in the clutches of fear or past resentment or bitterness. 
person who may never share the gospel with anybody because they're too angry about themselves. No, no, this person was built up, freed from those things, emboldened by the Spirit, making disciples of nations. God, this is our great cause. Lord, would you reel us in, Lord, reel us in. Now, there are other causes out there. God, wherever those causes are seeking to to do good to people, to bring common grace into their lives, Lord, we hope for those causes. I hope for a vaccine. God, I hope racial injustice will go away. God, I hope you'll put godly people into political offices that create rules that benefit people and laws that serve your purpose. God, those are not my ultimate cause. My cause is Matthew 28. Making disciples. Bringing the power of your spirit to bear upon my fellow believers so that this community has life and intensity to it. Freedom. Passion for things that matter. God, that's our cause. God, when that becomes my cause, I immediately know I'm in over my head. I can't do this, Lord. This is too big. I can't change anybody's heart. I can't overcome their depression. God, I can't do this. But you said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that power would bring gifts, could bring dreams, words. So Lord, this week we've just pause to remind ourselves we need these gifts God because we're on your mission your mission is massive important so Father would you help us, help us this week Lord, help us to engage the mission once again help us to be compelled by you for our lives to extend to the ends of the earth, not to live in our comfort zones, not to just do what's easy for us or what comes naturally God, may we fulfill the purpose that you have left us here on this earth to bring glory to your name for making disciples who love you and worship you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Bless you guys this week. Guys at home, we so miss you. We are praying for you. Be safe this week. If you have some needs that the church can help out with, always let us know. Glad to meet with you or just show up with some need that you have. Love you much. Uh, Praying for a safe week this week. We'll see you guys next week.